We're continuing our study in First Peter, and we've come this morning to First Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Let me read that passage for you, and then we'll take a, a particular view on um, the author and the recipients of this letter. So First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading, unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The, today, as we look at this part of the letter to these um, Jewish believers who were spread around Asia Minor, um, I, I, I'm struck by the importance, I think, of, of just noticing who it is that's writing this letter. So maybe we can imagine there's a room and there is a, a group of people in that room and, and they're looking rather anxious. They're not comfortably just sitting or visiting. They're looking anxious. And, and someone comes into the room and says, there's a letter. And, and everyone is quiet as they look at the person who has entered and said, there's a letter? Yes, there's a letter. There's a letter from Peter. And in this scenario multiplied probably many times, uh, this letter from Peter that was probably an encyclical, it was to be sent around the various home churches, um, this letter would be brought out and then people would, would carefully listen um, and, and probably gaze at one another as well, uh, perceiving what Peter is saying and, and, and thinking about who it is that is penning these words, the person who wrote this letter. I, I want to read you uh, just a reflection on this part of First Peter um, that comes from commentators who were just really caught up um, with with wondering about who it is that is writing this particular this particular letter. Um, this is putting together comments from I think about two commentaries. And as they consider now these many, many years later, as they consider the, the person who's writing this letter, here's what comes to their mind. There's a special intimacy about this section. The personality of Peter seems to come forward, though with a notable modesty and restraint. We seem to feel the humility and gentleness of one who was self-reliant and impetuous, but has been chastened and refined. How deeply must what he witnessed have been engraved on his memory. The indelible impression of that uncomplaining sufferer 
had broken down his arrogance and transformed his character. I don't know if you watch a lot of uh, action movies. I probably watch too many. And in, in some of the action movies that I've watched, they do this sort of back and forward routine between the present day and whenever it is that they've gone back to or forward to um, wherever it is in, in the world. And, and, and so it sort of goes back and forward. So you have um, the present day, there's usually a caption. And then once it's gone from the present day, um, it'll either tell you that it has departed from the present day to the past or the future, or it leaves you guessing. And you think, okay, is this now or was this like long ago or back when the story began? So I'm going to do a bit of that today because I, 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 I'm really anxious for us to, to get a sense of what it was like to be the people who were, who were hearing this letter, what it was like to be the person who has written this letter, and what it all sort of reaches back to in the, the life experience of the Apostle Peter. I will confess that Peter is probably my favorite Bible character. Um, if if he weren't a Galilean fisherman, I would swear he was an analog fisherman from the Northern Ireland because he thinks like we do, and he acted like we do impetuously, rashly, a lot of bravado, um, and so I, I like Peter very much, and I I hope you do, and I hope that uh, by the time we're finished today, you certainly will. So let us begin, and we're going to begin in present-day Rome in the year 60 A.D. So follow with me as we try to do this back and forward, a little sort of camera routine, and we will begin with present-day Rome in 60 A.D. And what we will, what we will do is look at the passage and hear what, what Peter is writing to the Asia Minor believers in the year A.D. 60, as though we were there with him now. So we will be in that room, perhaps in uh, one of the churches in Asia Minor, and we will be receiving with them the letter from the Apostle Peter. So present-day Rome, uh, in the year 60 A.D., Peter was undoubtedly in Rome. He calls it Babylon in the letter to first to the Asia Minor believers. Um, but um, it, Peter was certainly in Rome and probably met his death uh, within four or five years of his having written this letter. Uh, he was martyred probably uh, under the Nero persecution. Uh, he and Paul may both have been martyred near the same time as each other. They might have known each other. They might have worked together in the, the city of Rome. But today we're looking at the, the Apostle Peter and his particular uh, time in the city of Rome. So Peter was in his early 60s, in all likelihood. And you can imagine um, what a character like that looks like, what a character like that has lived by way of life. As you remember back the story of Peter's conversion and his discipleship, and imagine the time between all of that and the 
point now in his life where he's probably reflecting more than anything else on the things that he has learned and become and what he has done. Present-day Rome, 60 AD. Here's what the letter begins to say. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. As a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So here's how Peter is um, engaging the believers in Asia Minor. He, he says, here's who I am. I'm your fellow elder. I'm also a witness to the sufferings of Christ. If you know very much about Peter, you know that um, he, he, at the beginning of the time of his engagement with the Messiah, um, his leaving his fishermen nets and following Jesus. Um, he, he was a, a bombastious kind of a character. I, I mean, he has to have been. If, if, if there was something to be said, Peter would say it. If there was an opinion to be expressed, Peter would express it. Um, if there was uh, jostling to take place, Peter would be up for it. And uh, he, he always intended to come out ahead, um, to be first, to be quickest. And it is that person that now the commentaries are looking back at and saying, that's, that's a different person than the one that we now hear from these decades later. And so the way that Peter presents himself is to say, I am a fellow elder. Um, we're going to talk in just a moment about the, the kind of interpersonal struggle that always went on when Peter was in the room. Um, who's most important? Who's first? Who's right? And here, Peter, very gently, and I think the commentators are right, they're saying, boy, you, you see something in, in the development of this person's character, in, in the softening, in, in the gentling of who he has become. When he simply says, it's me, Peter, I'm a fellow elder. I, I'm one of us. I'm one of you. Um, not the first, not, not the quickest, not the smartest, none of that. I'm, I'm just, I'm Peter. I'm one of the elders. A and then he, he quickly goes to what will become really the theme of his exhortation to these believers. He says, I am a fellow elder and I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and we know that the Asia Minor believers are suffering for their faith and for um, various reasons of their having been scattered and and um, away from home away from their resources and yet Peter says you need to know that I, I'm a witness actually of the sufferings of Messiah Let's go back to Jerusalem around the year 33 AD. Going back about 30 years, we're going to go to the upper room. And in the upper room, uh, we hear Jesus talking to his disciples, in including Peter. And Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and 
to the uttermost part of the earth. Peter, almost 30 years later, or some 30 years later, says, I was a witness um, of the sufferings of our Messiah. And, and he might have been calling to mind the great commission that Jesus gave to his apostles, his, his disciples, when he said, you're going to be my witnesses. In what way will they be the witnesses? And in what way will they give testimony? Well, well, Peter characterizes it as being a witness to the sufferings of the Messiah. Uh, in the context of the Asia Minor believers, it certainly gets their attention. And Peter says, I, I'm, I'm the witness. I was there. In fact, I, I was commissioned by Jesus to be the witness, to be the storyteller about his sufferings. So if we were there in the upper room in 33 AD, and Jesus said, you're going to witness for me, they would have thought back just to the last set of months in their lives. It had been about six weeks since the events in the garden the events at the cross um, during which Peter was shaken um, from the arrest all the way through to, to the cross as, as he tries to get his bearings about what, what is happening here, what is, what's going to take place here. So we begin in the garden. It's a, a garden of olive trees. And in that garden, where Peter was was privy to the the master, Jesus said, "Stay with me here for a while to pray." And then later he went a bit farther along into the garden, into the grove to pray more, and the disciples fell asleep. How, how ashamed they must have been, you know, looking back on all of that. And, and even Peter these decades later. And while Jesus is praying, he, he cries out to his father, and he, he cries out about the possibility of there being a different way. All the while being resigned to the will of the father and knowing what the will of the father was. He, he was in such anguish that he sweat drops of blood were told. And Peter now... He, he's got the whole panoply of, of the events. And now these decades later, he looks back and says, I, I'm a fellow welder. I was, listen, I was a witness to the sufferings of our Lord, of the Messiah. I was there in the garden. Later on, um, Peter finds himself j just at wit's end because they come, the soldiers do, to arrest Jesus, and, and Peter uh, tries to defend him, and Jesus kind of tells him to stand down, and then Jesus is led away, and, and Peter is, is, is just beyond perplexed. He's distraught as Jesus is led away, and, and we get the sense that Peter doesn't go right along with Jesus, but he follows him at some distance. That's actually what the passage tells us. And as Jesus was taken into the trials, Peter would watch from outside, would listen from inside, um, found himself around the fires nearby. And all of that uh, 
simply led into the more awful suffering of the Messiah. When Jesus was scourged and taken to the cross and hung on the cross, and he died, an agonizing died, an agonizing death, the death of of um, a rebel to the Roman um, citizenship. Peter says in that upper room, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. And, and I am today, Peter would say, I'm a witness to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. Jerusalem in, in the year 33. Present day Rome, if we come all the way forward again to AD 60, Peter says, I'm also, I'm a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. So here he is, this this older man, I'm not going to call him an old man because of the age that I figure he was, but this person who has, who has had all of these decades now to reflect on, to teach on, to lead into belief in the Messiah, um, he says, I, I was a witness to his sufferings. Awful. I was also a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed. What, what, what was he thinking back to when he reflected on the glory that was to be revealed? I, wa- I wonder if, if he didn't go back to Galilee, somewhere around 31 AD, to a mountainside. And here is uh, Peter along with James and John. They are the, the, um, the inner circle of, of the followers of Jesus. And on that mountainside, as they climbed up, it must have been a fairly high mountain there in, in Galilee. Um, all of a sudden, Jesus' face began to shine like the sun. Um, his clothes became dazzling white. And the Greek word is literally metamorphosed. Metamorphosed. I get stuck with these words. That word, that means totally, totally transformed. His face shining, his clothes changing, his very person changing. And we're told by the narrators, just sort of as a matter of fact, that Moses and Elijah came and talked to him. Moses and Elijah showed up on the mountain, and to boot, there is a cloud on the top of the mountain from which the voice of God speaks and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter, way later, says, I I was a partaker in, I am a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed. The Mount of Transfiguration is a a prefiguring of the very glory that Peter may have been thinking about uh, as he remembered that day. And and here was Peter, true to fashion. Uh, the, the others, I, I presume, are dumbfounded. They, 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 I would certainly have run away, run back. But Peter said, Lord, would it be a good idea for me to build three shrines here? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? I'll build three shelters, three shrines, three, three tabernacles for you. It was not the intention of the master to stay there on the mountaintop, nor to keep Elijah and 
Moses close by, they were going to return to the ministry down into the fields and, and hills of Galilee. But what Peter tasted there was glory. Um, the, the absolute resplendent person of the Messiah when he is fully revealed for who he is and what he has come for. So Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets probably, come along to this grand mountain and Jesus introduces his close circle to these two and he himself demonstrates incredible glory that is to be his. The glory of God is a great study and certainly the Lord Jesus personifies the glory of God. John, one of those three, um, he said, we, we saw his glory. His glory was like the only begotten of the Father. Maybe John was remembering that same event where he said, there was a voice from the cloud that said, this is my beloved son. And John said, we saw his glory. We saw the glory of the beloved son. And he, he introduces us to great teaching about this Lord Jesus. I am a fellow fellow elder i'm a witness of the sufferings of christ i'm i'm also a partaker in the, the the wonderful glory that is still to be revealed present day rome 60 ad uh peter goes on and he says would you please shepherd the flock of god among you would you please shepherd the flock of god among you if we were to now let the camera sweep away, uh, the scene change, and we'll go back to the Sea of Galilee about 33 AD. And when Peter talks in this letter about shepherding the flock, he has to have been remembering a conversation that he had in about 33 AD. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, Peter fascinates me. If if I were to write um, a paper about Peter right now, I, I might call it the ascendancy of Peter. Um, how how Peter became what Peter became. We're seeing the first half of it, and then the the back half of it today. But all of this began with Jesus meeting Peter. And he looked at him, and that alone would be a lovely little study about what the look of Jesus meant and when it came to Peter. Because at the beginning of, of the relationship between the Messiah and this new follower, Jesus looked at him. Um, it, it doesn't mean he noticed him or he glanced at him. It, it, it actually means he, he gazed at him. It, it was one of those, you know, looks that saw through a person. And, and Jesus said to him, you're Simon. You will be called Cephas. You're Simon, you will be called Cephas. Cephas is an Aramaic word, an Aramaic name um, that means a rock. It's, it's the equivalent of Peter in Greek. So Jesus was probably talking to him in Aramaic and in, in this vernacular language, he, he said, you're Simon, I know who you are. 
you will be called a rock. And so we watch to find out what it'll be like um, for this character to become a rock. And he, he might have had some notions. Um, he, he was um, finally disavowed of some of those wrong notions, as, as we'll see. But as we follow this relationship, we're, we're told lots of things about what went on between um, Simon and the Lord Jesus in the context of, of the disciple. Uh, we might take a little walk um, and, and find ourselves in, in a place called Banyas. Um, Banyas comes from the name Pan, the, the Greek god Pan. It was in the northern Galilee, almost to the extreme north of Galilee. It was called Caesarea Philippi in the days of Jesus. And in, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, um, he and his disciples were, were in this place called Banyas. Banyas is even today a, a lovely um, setting. It, it has, it's a huge cliff w- with sort of outcroppings. Um, and, and there's a, a, a large sort of spring-fed lake. It's, it's one of the, the three sources of the River Jordan. And into that setting, into the, the midst of the um, birthplace, as it was thought of, the, of the pagan god Pan, um, Jesus is, is standing with his disciples. They, they might have been able to look down uh, all the way through the Jordan Valley, through into the Galilee. And, and Jesus said, who do they say I am? And the disciples chatted a bit, chattered and talked and said, well, some people say you are this or, or that, you're, you're one of the prophets, um, maybe you're John the Baptist, come back to life and, and so on. And Jesus says, but you guys, who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, it's almost as though a microphone was passed to Peter, and booming through the rock face of Banyas, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I think the disciples probably just sort of stood mesmerized. Jesus stepped back, and he probably clapped his hands, or whatever was the equivalent culturally. He said, good for you. But listen, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. You are, you are Petrus, you are Peter, you are Cephas, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Now, there has been a lot made of that. Um, that is the, the Roman Catholic belief or assumption that Peter was the first pope, that the church was built on Peter, and so on, and that's um, you know to be set aside. He he was not. He was an apostle. He's one of the apostles with the others. Um, but but what a glorious event this was, as Jesus celebrated what what Simon had declared, and everything in Simon um, rose to that occasion. Uh, I, I, can, I think he just looked around with a smug, maybe arrogant look on his face as he got the right answer. He got the right answer. Everybody else was giving guesses, but he had the right answer. 
and Jesus spoke to him and, and, and said, good for you. Now, it doesn't take long, and uh, one of the other disciples was, was taking notes. It doesn't take long until Peter puts his foot in his mouth, and Jesus actually has to say to him, get behind me, Satan. It's like the you know the press they've gone the media's gone so just pipe down and what you just said is inappropriate get behind me Satan but looming large in in Peter's mind was this incredible affirmation and so it probably traveled with Peter as they carried on um, Peter had by now become absolutely the spokesperson for the group he was the leader without question. Um, he was the one who was setting the agenda. He was the one who was issuing the press releases. He was the one that was telling everyone else what was and what wasn't. So later on, as we continue in this little entourage group with Jesus, um, we find ourselves drawn now close to the time of the, the, the rest of Jesus around the Passover meal. And Jesus is telling them some, some startling things. He's telling them that there will be a betrayer among them. And they can't believe that. They, they look around. They literally look around and say, who is it, me? Is it, who is it? Who is it? And then Jesus, maybe while they're still sort of recoiling from that, he said, and you know what else? All of you will run away. And Peter said, oh, no, 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 not me. I don't know about the rest of these guys, because between you and me, you know, I don't know where you got them from, but maybe we should look for some different candidates. But me, I'll never forsake you. I will never, ever walk away from you. And Jesus said, you know what, Peter, um, Simon, Simon, Satan has this desire to have you that he can can just sift you like grain but I've prayed for you before the rooster crows you'll deny me three times he said no Peter said I, I will not even if all of these guys walk away I will never ever turn on you well the events of that night became a fog for Peter I'm sure um, because as the, the soldiers came to arrest him and um, Peter's, you know, you know bravado was, was rebuked, actually, um, he, he's, he's, he's just following behind, staggering and wondering what has happened and, and what does all of this mean? And while, while the trials are going on, Peter is, is standing aside, I don't know, looking for his chance or what it is, but... As he's there by the fire, um, three times people identify him. And they say, you, you're one of them, aren't you? I know you are because you're a Galilean. You sound like a Galilean. Finally, there's a servant girl. And she says, I, you are one of them. I know. I saw you with him. And we are told that Peter denied that with oaths and curses. 
the person who just a while ago said, I will never, ever abandon you. Now, in dirty fisherman language, swears he doesn't even know Jesus. And then the rooster crows. And then Jesus looked at him. Oh, my goodness. Peter doesn't know what to do except quit. And he decides that um, all of this was a well-intentioned venture, but it has been a failed venture. Um, Jesus has been crucified. Strangely, Jesus' body has disappeared. And even though Peter and John um, went to where the women said his body had been and saw, yeah, that yes, indeed, it was gone. Um, and and even though Jesus had actually used Peter's name and said, "Go and tell my disciples and Peter that I'm alive again," even though he got that message and maybe dared to hope, dared to hope somehow or other that could be true. Still, he was done. He was at the end of himself. And John 21 is the sad account um, of actually the, the final ascendancy of Peter, strangely. Because in John 21, we find Peter saying, I'm, I'm going fishing. And what that being translated means, I quit. I'm done. I'm no good. And so everybody else, as per usual, said, well, if you're going to go fishing, so are we. Whatever you do, we do, Peter. It's always been that way. You know, here we go. And, and the little irony and humor in the story is that they fished all night and they couldn't catch any fish. There's the thing. Peter was ruined. He thought he was ruined as a disciple. And now he's even ruined as a fisherman. He can't even catch fish. And so the morning comes, and there's a voice, and that voice calls out to these would-be fishermen and says, do you have any fish? We are about 33 AD. We are on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We are at a place that is called um, the Table of the Lord. Um, it's a flat piece of rock and, and it's been called Mensa Christi, the table of the Christ. It, it's probably the best attested site of all of the events in Jesus' life, just this little lovely flat part by the shore of Galilee. On that rock, Jesus made breakfast for the disciples. Now, um, Peter's hopes were daring to surface. And, and yet he sat. He, he sat, I don't know. I imagine his mind must have been scattered and daring to hope and also being filled with his own failure and abysmal failure. And when breakfast is over, 
Jesus looks over at Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And it, it wasn't just, it wasn't one at all a casual conversation. It wasn't, hey, are we, are we friends? Are we okay? Are we buddies? It, this was a penetrating question. Um, the text doesn't say Jesus looked at him, but I know he did. Here in the firelight of the morning, by the campfire f- for breakfast, Jesus said, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And Peter gulped. And he said, Lord, I'm your friend. And, and, and th- there's an awkward silence. But Jesus doesn't leave it alone. He, he looks back across at Simon and says, Simon, son of John, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? Peter said, You're my, I'm your friend. What was Jesus getting at? What, what did he want? What did he want him to say? I, I claimed that I would be the only one who would stand up for him, and yet I failed him, and I said that these guys might drop out, but I never would. I promised that I was better than them, and I'm not better than them, and now he wants to know. The third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, Are you my friend? Peter was cut to the bone because Jesus didn't ask them the same question. The the, the first question was, do you love me? I mean, do you love me with that committed, um, I can count on you, we are covenant bound. I love you like that. To which Peter answered, I, I'm fond of you. I'm, I like you. I'm your friend. It, it's a good word, but it's not a good enough word. And the third time, Jesus grieves Peter because he asks him the wrong question. He asks him, all right then, are you my friend? Are you fond of me? And Peter says, you know everything. You know that I'm your friend. He must have wanted the earth to swallow him up. And Jesus answered each of the questions and each of Peter's answers in a very strange way. He first of all said to Peter, feed my lambs. After the second question, he said, shepherd my sheep. And after the third time, he said, feed my sheep you know that in Rome as Peter was writing a letter and he wanted to talk to the elders that were his fellow elders about pastoring he used the verb shepherd my sheep that conversation rang into Peter's mind and heart for decades and the story of the reconciliation, the story of um, the repentance of Peter, the, the story of the restoration of Peter, 
And his reconciliation into the fellowship of the master um, looms so large in Peter's mind that everything that had been important to him just paled in contrast and comparison. It didn't matter that he was the leader of the group. It didn't matter that he was right. It didn't matter that he had a better way than Jesus. Um, it didn't matter that he had failed and had failed abysmally. And somehow or other, Jesus was saying, it's okay. And somehow or other, Jesus was saying, this is what I wanted you to become. Not the big guy. Not the one to be celebrated. Not the one to win the fights. Not the one to, fin the ar to win the argument. I wanted you to be this person who searched his heart to know whether more than anything else, he loved his master. He loved Jesus, the Messiah. And he says to Peter, all right then, you have a job to do. I, I love that that's how Jesus responds by commissioning Peter. He, he doesn't chide him. He doesn't scold him anymore. Um, he, he doesn't make little life lessons for the rest. He just says, all right, okay, Peter, we're good. Early morning, restored by the master on the shore. Present-day Rome, 60 A.D., Peter goes on to say, as he talks about shepherding the sheep, remembering, being haunted by and blessed by the conversation by the water. He said, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge but proving to be examples to the flock. One last little trip back to 31 AD, let's say, and it's to the road to Capernaum. And on the road to Capernaum, the disciples were kibbutzing. They were talking, joking, laughing, roughing one another up, whatever disciples do when they're on a journey. And they got in an argument. And when they got to the house that they were going to stay at, Jesus said, hey, what were you guys talking about on the road? Dead silence. Come on, what were you talking about? What was that about? Um, who's greatest? Excuse me? Who's greatest? What? That's what you were talking about? Yeah, yeah. We were arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus said, yeah, you were, you were. Um, so here's a lesson. That's the way the Gentiles talk. That's the way the world talks. That's the way the systems of this world work. But not you, not us. Um. John 13 is, is the most graphic illustration of this. When they got to a house and nobody had commissioned a servant to make sure to be there to wash their feet. So Jesus took a basin and towel and he washed their feet. Good old Peter says, 
you're not going to wash my feet? That's ridiculous. That's beneath you. And Jesus said, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not part of this deal. And then Peter said, okay, wash all of me, please. And Jesus said, I'll pipe down. All I have to do is wash your feet. But listen, if I, your Lord and Master, have done this, have washed your feet, you need to wash one another's feet. Peter, way later on, says, be shepherds of God's flock. Don't lord it over them. Don't do it for gain. Um, remember the master. Remember our chief shepherd who is going to come and reward you if you have been following him and serving him well. Um, when the chief shepherds come, which shepherds, shepherd comes, he'll give you whatever reward is necessary. So, Peter says, present day, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those commentators were right. There's a new Peter that's showing up behind the pages of our Bibles and um, the letter written to the believers in Asia Minor. He, he's someone who has, who has hit the wall. He's someone who has failed miserably. He's someone who was getting it entirely wrong and yet came to a place where he understood and now understands fully that the way of Christ is the cross. It's, it's cruciform living, as they say. It's humility, servanthood. And God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to the proud. So if there is pride, arrogance that lurks in any one of us, and where in our lives does it not sometimes pop up here, there, or everywhere? Just, just when we thought we had taken care of it, Surely another thing comes along and we realize that that was my pride again. That was my stubbornness again. That was my Irishness again showing up. And yet, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. AD 60, the city of Rome. Peter is nearing the end of his journey. And he says, Here, here's some wisdom from a 61 or 62-year-old, whatever he was. I, I'm a witness to his sufferings. I also got a glimpse of his glory. Um, I, I want to invite you, my fellow elders, to shepherd the flock, to learn from me what I learned about shepherding about leading about serving so, so th this passage in, he, in uh, Peter is about how to be an elder but it's about almost everything else it's about how to be a growing Christian how to be a mom how to be a dad 
how to be a boss, how to be a worker, how to be a student, how to be a teacher, how to be anything, how to grow. Um, Peter would say, look, don't go down my ridiculous, silly road of self-congratulation and aggrandizement and arrogance. Whoa. When, when the master said to me he was going to make me a rock, I got it wrong. I thought that meant strength. I thought that meant my name, my reputation, my behavior, my record. It's not what he meant at all. He meant that he was going to take everything away from me that I could claim to be holding on to. And he was going to turn me instead into an example of humility where I was brought to the end of myself and end of everything and I only had one direction to look and that was up to the Savior to see whether there was mercy enough for me. And there was. God bless.